you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Friday, February 10. The national benchmark school test, NAPLAN, will be made easier for kids to pass under a plan by the National Curriculum Authority to reduce the numbers of children failing. But the word failing won't be used. Instead, kids who don't reach minimum standards will be labelled developing or approaching proficient. Senior ministers have been told not to dream up big new expensive ideas as Treasurer Jim Chalmers prepares for May's federal budget. He says the budget will be all about spending restraint. The government will have to crunch the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is set to blow out to $50 billion per year. The government has hard choices to make, particularly about mental health. That's the take from our economics guru, Tiki Fullerton who's joining us on her last day at The Australian for a candid take on where the economy's really at. Inflation and rates are on the rise and so is the price of everything, but we all know our wages are not. One person who's kept their cool amid the economic storm is Tiki Fullerton, The Australian's business editor-at-large. Tiki's one of the world's most acute business analysts. She's been an investigative journalist, a TV anchor and a widely respected commentator. Today's Tiki's last day at The Australian and we thought it would be a good opportunity to get her frank perspective, you can throw it all out there now, Tiki, on where the economy's really going. So I need to ask you, are we all doomed? Oh, what a lovely introduction. Thank you, Claire, and I will miss you guys. No, no. And in fact, it's a great opportunity to be a little bit optimistic, but I think that is my nature, really. I think compared to other parts of the world, Australia continues to be the lucky country. I mean, we're all going through this global correction, if you like, as we get back to reality after all this funny money and people saying that cash was going to no longer be required and we're all going to have crypto. And I think this is the reality check that we needed to have. Now, of course, it's going to be more painful for some people than others. We do know that. But I think we are on our way back to the Reserve Bank's probably got a couple of other rises in them. And that is going to crunch through. The expectation was it was never going to really hit mortgages until sort of another month or two or three. But that will crunch through. That will have an impact on curbing inflation. And then we will get over this hump. But it is a difficult time at the moment. Do you think Australian families are going to be losing their homes in significant numbers? You know, define significant numbers. I do think the big banks have been pretty careful and the stimulus has created the big savings buffer. If you talk to any of the big bank execs, they will say, look, we can't, and even Phil Lowe at the RBA, of course, there will be people who were last on, who borrowed to the hilt when prices were high. But on the whole, I think most people should be able to travel through this. We've talked on the front before about when you bought your first property, you had interest rates in the high teens. 
Have we reached a strange sort of end of consensus about interest rates as the tool to control inflation? You know, people have got so used to extremely low interest rates now. Mm. Are they now questioning the very notion that you withdraw monetary supply from the market by crunching interest rates? Yeah, no, newsflash, I think it's coming back. What we experienced over the last few years was not the norm. And this is coming back to the norm. And that's true for business as well. Businesses are going to have to realise that this is about creating productivity, creating margins from increased productivity. We might even see the return, we're beginning to see shoots of it, to proper value investing. There's no longer this idea that you can be a growth company forever. Maybe if you're a startup for a little while, but basically you look at the buy now, pay laters and how they've gone off the boil. I think it's going to be a real reckoning. And I welcome it. It, frankly. We've seen a remarkable shift by Australia's biggest corporates into the kind of investments that would make their school children proud. What's that done to our economy, particularly in the green transition? Have we gone faster towards the green economy than we're actually ready for? I think the good news is that the way the energy transition is going means that the right investments by business in this area make money. And this shift, and that's one of the reasons why businesses is embracing it, because it it does make sense. I think the biggest problem for the government going forward is not actually energy transition, which in the past, you know, has been such a problem for governments. It's actually the runaway NDIS and Medicare and how you do that. The latest government figures reveal the scheme continues to grow beyond expectations and is now on track to pass one million participants early next decade. As shown yesterday, Treasury data estimates the NDIS will grow at almost 14% annually, meaning it will eventually cost more than Medicare, Defence and the aged pension. The way that NDIS was structured in the first place, it wasn't structured as a proper insurance, you know, with an insurance underpinning and it's got no cap. So what to do there? And the other area, of course, which is so challenging is education. And this really goes into the most basic productivity input we need to have people well-educated to feed in and deliver the innovation that's going to drive that productivity. Digging into that point you make about the NDIS, we saw in the last federal budget that the forward costs of the NDIS are absolutely immense. Scary. So the principle of it is that we start paying the medical bills of people who no doubt need assistance, Mm. often the most needy people in the community. But The design of the NDIS is that it's extremely broad, right, that it includes things like autism, spectrum disorder. If you look back to the UK, they don't have mental health, I don't think, in the sort of general sort of organisations that deal with and funding around disability. So it's a slightly different thing. Mental health is more part of the NHS. Mm. And mental health is, as you say, the area where perhaps this has been very difficult to put rails Mm. around, which this government needs to do. Stay with us after the break what ambitious people should be doing about work from home. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. 
From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. Still early days, Mr Speaker, but we're really pleased to see the beginnings of wages growth in the economy again. We seek wages growth which is strong and sustainable which in an economy which is more productive and more competitive and which creates more high-wage, high-skill opportunities for more of our people. That's the government's goal and that's what our economic plan is all about. Something else that the Albanese government was elected to sort out was wages. Labor's campaign slogan was get wages moving. Have they? Are they going to? Have we all moved on from that now? I think the government's push pre the election on lifting the minimum wage to match inflation was very significant. They came into government, they delivered on that. That was really important around the minimum wage. Whether the same thing happens this year, we will see because inflation is, will still be pretty high. It's on its way down, but it'll still be whatever it will be in June. I think they're hoping that it'll be sort of four point something by the end of the year, aren't they? So, But I think in terms of people earning more than the minimum wage, we have seen wages pick up, not to the level of inflation, but what are the most recent ones now, what, three and a half percent or something like that. So real wages are going backwards still, but as inflation comes down, that should flip. And the question is, how much of a political issue it becomes in the meantime. I think, obviously, the unions, the ACTU, is uh, very strident in going for the minimum wage to go up with inflation and, generally, on wages across the board. And I think the fear of business continues to be this push for multi-employer bargaining, which we will see how that plays out later in the year. We're seeing record low unemployment, which perhaps means that companies who would like their staff to come back to the office aren't mm. able to lean on them as hard as they would like to. Yes, What are you seeing happening with that working from home revolution as COVID retreats into the history books? Yes, clearly the hybrid model is around now and is entrenched. I think the shift that's happened in the last six months, and it is very obvious, is the extent to which business leaders are finally leading and giving people a reason for going back into the office and messaging out there the importance of learning, having a career, being in the room where it happens, you know, if you want to get the opportunity, as well as the importance of culture, building a social life around work, all the things that we used to just take for granted before COVID hit. And I think there's a much stronger message there, um, including in this organisation, that you should be coming back to work three, four days a week for the right reasons, Mm. because it's a great thing to do for your mental health. Mm. Whereas it used to be the other way around this time last year, didn't it? And suddenly everybody's (laughs) realised, well, actually, no, you'd probably be better off going into the office. I've always liked working in the office. Uh, To me, you get more done. Having spent about a year writing a book on my own at home at some stage in my life, I found that deeply challenging. That was the, you get up (laughs) to the fridge every sort of two and a half minutes Um, and you you really have to get yourself into gear to get yourself disciplined to finish the thing off. But I get much more motivated at the office. 
Your book was about water. You've done some big investigations into the intersection of business and the environment movement over the years. Mm. What's been your best or most memorable story? Well, I did a very controversial one uh, about Tasmanian logging, which I think possibly would be treated more friendly now. <laughs> but, four corners, right? <laughs> that was yeah. a four corners. Look, I do think the water issue is a really important one in Australia. I did write a book on that around 2000, just sort of in the grips of the millennial drought, where, of course, we've forgotten all about that now. (laughs) But this will return. And I think one of the really interesting moves at the moment, we've been talking a lot about carbon and emissions and the way particularly Europe is leading the way on this now, looking at biodiversity and the importance of nature. We're going to have nature-based certificates, not just carbon certificates that we're going to be dealing with. And I think right from the get-go, I wish people had talked about pollution and not carbon dioxide. I think we'd be a lot further along the road. But people are recognising that now and our waterways and what we can do with our water, salinity, lots of issues which are not top of mind now, I think will come back to be so. You're leaving us to join the Australian-British Chamber of Commerce. I am. One of our great colleagues, Perry Williams, who's been breaking a lot of those stories in that energy space, has become our business editor. He has, and congratulations to Perry. I think Perry Williams and Amber Plum, as his deputy, will actually give this an absolute cracking go this year. And uh, hopefully I might sort of put my hand up and see if I can get covered because uh, (laughs) between Britain and Australia this year, we've got a free trade agreement, which hopefully is going to get ratified in uh, Britain. We've ratified it down here. The UK is going to ratify it a little later this year. We've got the development of AUKUS and all the opportunities that 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 brings. But the free trade agreement hopefully will bring a lot of openings in mobility and opportunities on both sides. So it's a really exciting time, I think, to be joining the Chamber. Tiki Fullerton is The Australian's outgoing business editor-at-large. There are fresh claims today of Chinese interference with the Australian reporting a network of pro-Beijing social media accounts aggressively pushed out negative stories about a toxic culture in Australia's parliament. You can read that story and all the nation's best news, business, sport and politics right now at theaustralian.com.au. The Front is produced by Kristen Amiot with Leah Tsemaglou and edited by Tiffany Dimack and Jasper League. Our multimedia editor is Leah Tsemaglou and our music is by Jasper League. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.